This morning, however, we are wrapping up our series entitled The Journey. By now, I hope you know that this journey we are talking about is the journey to discipleship. We truly, as a church, want our people moving to a place of being genuine disciples, but also to a place of helping make disciples. Maybe you don't need a reminder, but just in case, let me reiterate the reason why we want to be on this journey. We want to be on this journey because Jesus told us to be on the journey. Remember, he said this in Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, as the one in authority, Jesus has told us to go and make disciples while also promising his presence with us along the way. And surely by now we understand that if Jesus has given us this command, we should follow. We should be on the journey to discipleship. We've seen over the last few weeks that our guide even in this journey is the Bible. And so if we want to know how to make disciples and what does it look like, this Bible is going to be our source of truth. We must let it dictate everything we do. And then last week, we looked at a reminder that we have to remember the people on the journey. In other words, not get so caught up in a plan or a process where we truly miss the people we say we're trying to reach or minister to. People and relationships are important. And they are important because people are important to God. In other words, everything that we have looked at over the last several weeks uh, have been important to the idea of getting to the place of discipleship. And here's my guess. Along the way, many of you, if not most of you, have agreed with what we have shared. I mean, you understand the importance of discipleship. You even agree that it needs to be a priority. You even probably agree that you need to do a better job of it personally in your life. However, you are still wondering about how you get started and how all this works. Well, if that is you, hopefully today will help you understand a, a little bit more how, as a church, we intend to help our people reach the destination of discipleship. And I'll say it, I kind of briefly alluded to it a while ago, but, but I'm going to even say it right now. Today's not going to be your typical sermon, all right? I know that I, I'm not going to answer all your questions today because I can't do that in one message. I know over the last week, we, weeks, we haven't answered all your questions. There's so much more to share about discipleship, and we'll share them in the weeks to come. But today, what I'm going to do, again, not do a typical message, all right? This is not going to be my typical sermon. Some of you are going to leave today and say, that preacher didn't preach today. He just gave us information. And you're going to say, and I'll say, that's exactly right. Because what we're doing today is more informational. And I understand that right from the bat. But we believe it's very important to communicate this information. We feel strongly enough about the need for discipleship that it's worth for this day to be a day where we explain a little more about the reasons for this process and what the process of discipleship is like. We want to share these plans because it says this in Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. See, here's what we're praying. We're praying for an abundance of disciple makers. So let's first even remember where the concept of discipleship groups originate, for it actually originated with Jesus. I mentioned this briefly in week one, but Jesus set an example of how we're to go about impacting people's lives, about how we make disciples. If you look at Jesus' life, he obviously taught on occasions a large crowds of people. One of the most known times of his teaching to a large crowd is found in Matthew 5 through 7. We refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount, and in those chapters, we find many great lessons taught by Jesus. Any follower of Jesus would do well to read those words in Matthew 5 through 7. 
In fact, when he finished teaching, here's the reaction of the crowd. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Truly, the people were amazed because they recognized something about Jesus, something special about him. He wasn't just another teacher. They could tell that he had a special authority. They recognized that he was from God. And so as a result, look at what we read in the next verse, Luke 1, 8. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. There's no question as Jesus taught these large crowds, people were drawn to him. Therefore, I have no doubt that because of what he taught and how he taught these large crowds, there were people who found a deeper relationship with God. Much like people today have found a relationship with God through evangelistic crusades or maybe even a Sunday morning worship experience. However, notice this, Jesus didn't just teach these large crowds. He also taught a much smaller group, a group of 12 that we refer to as disciples. What we forget sometimes that the word disciple just basically means students. And so the disciples were students. They were follower of a teacher. And so when we consider the disciples, we have to remember that they were learning from Jesus. They were learning who he was. They were learning his commands. They were learning what it meant to follow Jesus' commands. We see various times in the Scripture where what Jesus does is he pulls away from the large crowds in order to invest in these 12 disciples. In Mark 7, for example, we see Jesus speaking a parable to a crowd, and then we read this in verse 17. And when he'd entered the house, and look at this, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Here we see that the disciples were confused about what Jesus had taught in the crowd. And so when they left the crowd and they were alone with Jesus, they asked him about the parable. Now, here's the reality that Jesus knew, that smaller groups facilitate questions. You know, I've said it before, but I will say it again. I don't think I've ever had anyone stop me while I was preaching a sermon and ask a question, all right? Never happened in all my almost 28 years of preaching. Evidently, the disciples didn't stop Jesus when he was teaching either, all right, because we see here that they didn't ask Jesus a question. They were confused during the big crowd, but they didn't ask him the question there. They waited until they were alone with Jesus and just to 12. You see, their group of 13, including Jesus, provided a safe environment for questions to be asked and answered. Because not only did it provide a good place for the disciples to ask questions, It also provided a place for Jesus to ask questions to the disciples to take them to a deeper understanding. For example, in the next chapter in Mark, Mark 8, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, all right, who do the people say I am, all right? In other words, disciples, you 12, you tell me, what do the crowd say about me? Which eventually led Jesus to asking them who they thought he was, and Peter answered, you are the Christ. In this small setting, Jesus was helping his disciples to understand more fully who he was, what he was going to accomplish, and ultimately what he wanted them to do. In fact, it was the remaining 11 disciples that Jesus gave the great commission of go and make disciples to. He didn't even make that to the, whole, the large crowd. He made it to his smaller disciple. The smaller group setting led to a deeper understanding of Jesus and a deeper intimacy with him and the Father and a greater commitment to do what Jesus had commanded. But this smaller group is not the only example that Jesus set for us because then he had a special relationship with three disciples, a much smaller group. At various places in the Scripture, we see Jesus take Peter, James, and John for intense times of equipping. 
We see these three with Jesus in Mark 1 at the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. We see them at the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. We see them on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus himself was transfigured. And we see Moses and Elijah come and meet with him there. Then we see them with him in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his arrest, trial, and his crucifixion. It is not a coincidence that after Jesus' ascension that you see these three men take a huge leadership role in the early church in part because they had experienced Jesus in an even more intimate way than the other disciples. Jesus had truly prepared them to be leaders for the first believers. And so Jesus had the large crowd, he had the disciples of 12, and then he had his group of three. Now, when we think about the example of Jesus, we see the church today even seek to replicate what Jesus did. The obvious thing that every church does is the large crowd. I mean, that's what we're doing right now. The crowd today even includes those who are watching remotely. This time is an opportunity, for, in, our, for our, in our case, for the preacher to have an opportunity to teach as many people as possible. And we rejoice when the crowd is large because it is an opportunity to impact many people. During these large group settings, the hope is that people would be drawn to Jesus, not because of the specialness of the preacher, but because of the one that's being talked about, about the one who is being exalted. In fact, let me just say this. The reason it is so important today for preachers to preach Jesus is because the large crowd is often the first place that people get an introduction to the truth of Jesus Christ. Many times people are curious and they are seeking truth or they are hurting and looking for answers. And so they attend a large group setting, a worship service, because they can do it more anonymously. It is a non-threatening environment. It is a place they can come to and not worry about someone asking them a question and putting them on the spot. I mean, as I preach this morning, there's times I'll ask questions, but it's to a large group, and there are many times rhetorical questions. I don't really come during a sermon and say, Roy, will you answer me this question, right, Roy? I'm not going to do that, right? I put Roy on the spot because he doesn't care, right? But you can come to this, and that's typically not going to happen. You're not going to be put on the spot to ask the question. And so people come to a worship service as an entry point. For many people, again, in this point is an entry point to even get to know Jesus, and it provides an opportunity for them to begin a walk with the Lord. But let me say this. This does not provide a close fellowship among those participating, and it doesn't allow for deep conversations. Therefore, any goal of any church should be to help people go deeper. Every church should be seeking to help people move to a smaller setting. For us here at Valley Creek, what we call life groups, traditionally traditionally what many churches have called Sunday school. These small groups can take on many names, but their goal should be the same, to help people connect with others in order to go deeper in their walk with Jesus. These small groups accomplish the task by helping people connect with others more deeply, by providing a place where there is more personal interaction and a discussion of God's Word. It is a place where questions can be asked and more clarification can be provided. It is also a place where believers help others live out what they are learning and apply what they are learning to their specific circumstances in life. In a life group, you can ask the question, all right, about what being taught. You can ask this question, well, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to what I'm dealing with in life? And then you can find the support of others in the group to help you apply God's truth to your life. In fact, many times in a a small group setting, you can hear from someone else who has been through what you are experiencing, and they can give testimony about how their faith helped them and about how God came through, how when they studied the Word, they found their answers, and they can help you deal with the experience that you're going through. Life group even adds a deeper element of community 
because connections are made with others that even begins to extend outside the allotted life group time together where you truly move to living life together. It's not that you just gather and study on a Sunday morning or whenever you do it, but outside of life, you're living life together. You're having fun together. You're doing things together. And so life group provides that opportunity. In fact, because it allows you the opportunity to live life together, that's why we love to call them life groups. Now, these smaller groups are good, but they have their limitations. First, let me say this. We can all even get lost in a group of 12 or more like the disciples. Think about this. For those of you who've been in church for a long time, when was the last time you thought about Thaddeus or Bartholomew? You're going to say, I haven't, right? Some of you are going to say, who is Thaddeus and Bartholomew? They're two of the 12 disciples, right? And many people wouldn't even know that. The only place we see them in the scriptures is when they're listed in the group of 12. And I think they're even an example that in a group of 12, guess what? You can even get lost, all right? You can just become a number even in a group of 12. In fact, many people get involved in life groups and they just blend in. Life groups are a deeper and more intimate involvement than the large group, but they do have their limitations. Again, you can still become a number there. That is why as we move forward at Valley Creek, we want to encourage people to ultimately to be a part of a discipleship group, a group that is even smaller and more personal than a life group. As we consider what these discipleship groups will look like and accomplish, I want to give you some specifics this morning. I know I'm giving you information, but I want to get this out. For a discipleship group will consist of a group of three to four, maybe occasionally a fifth under special circumstances. But these groups will meet between one and one and a half hours a week, and they will meet whenever and whenever is good for the group. The group will meet for 12 to 18 months, depending on the circumstances and the makeup of the group. Each member will be expected to attend the meetings and complete outside assignments, including scripture reading, journaling, supplemental reading, listening, or watching maybe videos. In fact, there are a lot of things that's going to happen, but we're going to be prepared when you meet for your group. One acronym that then can be used to describe what will happen in these groups is the word closer, all right? Because ultimately, we want people to get closer to one another, but ultimately, we want them to get closer to God. And so what will happen in these D groups? People will get closer. Number one, C. All right, there's going to be communication. And communication is prayer. You're communicating with the Father. What we intend to happen in these small groups of three or four is you're going to be intimately involved with one another. You can share your needs with one another, your concerns, your hurts, your pains, your struggles. And in that group, you will pray with one another. It will be a privilege to lift your, or lift your brother or sister up to the Lord and saying, I'm praying for your need and see God work in their life. And so we're going to have communication. There's going to be prayer. There's also going to be learning. This is reading and studying the Bible. You will have a reading plan that you'll be reading through throughout the week. But then when you come together as a group, you'll be discussing what you've read, what God's truth is, and how that truth applies to your life, and what you need to do in regard to what you have read. Because then it leads to ultimately obey, all right? And I want you to catch this, because obey is this. It's ultimately as you go deeper with the Lord and you get to know his word more, you get to know God more, as you get to know him more, what comes from that is obedience because you know God to the point where you want to obey him. This is not going to be groups where we're twisting each other's arms to say, okay, you got to obey. That's not what that group is about. It's about having an intimacy though with others, that you're helping each other know God to the point that you all, as a, even as a group, you want to obey him. With that, there will also be store, all right? which is storing up scriptures. It's memorizing scriptures. 
If there is a lost art in the church, it probably is memorizing Scripture. So in these groups, you will be challenged every week with a Scripture memory that you're going to be as a group trying to learn and put in your mind and put in your heart. And you tell me, why is it important that we remember Scripture? Because let me ask you, you, you ever been on the spot and you want to know, what, what do I do? How do I handle this? Or what am I going to do in this moment? I'm going to tell you this. The more Scripture you have stored in your mind, in your heart, the more prepared you are for circumstances when they arise. And so there will be the challenge, all right, to store God's Word, to memorize God's Word and put it into our hearts and lives. From that will come, we will evangelize, okay? Now, some of you hear that and, and you're going to get a little bit scared, but let me say this. Evangelism will naturally flow from obeying. All right, as you go deeper with the Lord and you get to know him and you obey him, I mean, Jesus did give us the command to go and make disciples, did he not? Well, the deeper we go with the Lord, the more natural evangelism will flow. In your group, you will probably do things like this. You'll ask the question, who are you sharing Christ with? Are you pray- who are you praying for to come to know Christ? And there will be that accountability, but just as you get to know God more, evangelism will flow. And then there is our, there's the renewal, all right? This is your own personal quiet time in journaling. Every one of us knows life is tough. We all get wore out. Well, how do we get renewed? Well, you get renewed by your own quiet time of digging into God's word, by journaling what God's doing in your life, by listing those things in your heart that that you need prayer for, all right? And as you do those things, God renews you. And then each week, the individuals, all right, you're going to come as a group to go closer to God as you discuss what you read, as you discuss maybe what you've journaled, as you talk about who you've witnessed to through the week, things you've been praying for. And every week, what you're going to find is, listen, you'll go deeper with the Lord. You will grow closer with Him. Now, as you have these weeks go on, as a group, you will also have the opportunity to deal with topics of interest, all right, because we're going to provide you with a reading plan. But as you go on, you might say, hey, you're in a group of men and say, you know what? We, we really want to go deeper in our marriage. We would like to have better marriages. And so you're going to take that topic and you'll do a study on marriage. Or maybe you're in a group of ladies and you say, you know what? We, we really want to go deeper in our prayer life. And so you'll do a study on, on prayer and how do you pray. Those are going to be those opportunities. That will be dependent upon your group. But however your group functions, again, they're going to have consistent accountability. You're going to have scripture memory. You're going to have sharing insights from the Bible readings every week. You're going to have group discussion. You're going to have prayer. All that with the intent of helping individuals go deeper in their walk with the Lord, all right? And, and they're even their walk with each other. These D groups will take you deeper in your walk with God and facilitate deeper relationship with others because of the small group size. You cannot hide in that small of a group. Now, there will be some who will say this, well, Brother Scott, I want to take it a step further. I want to go and do one-on-one discipleship, all right, just me and one other person. Well, that is something I understand will happen at times, and it will be appropriate at times based on the circumstances in in the individual. However, we as a church, we are going to emphasize D groups because we believe they have some advantages over one-on-one discipleship. Robbie Gallaty, who is a pastor of a church in Tennessee, who has emphasized D groups now for a while, even writing several books on the topics, he shares five advantages for D groups, all right? And let me say this about his church right now. They are experiencing a revival that can only be explained by a move of God, all right? It's probably not any coincidence that they emphasize D groups, all right? And God's moving in a mighty and a powerful way. But he cites five advantages over D groups versus one-on-one discipleship. Number one, he says, it avoids the ping pong match, Okay. Y'all going to say ping pong match, watch that. Well, it's where you're responsible for keeping the ball in play. 
You, you ever been in a conversation where you had to keep it going? You ever been there? Is it awkward? All right. You ask a question, how are you doing? Fine. What's going on in your life? Nothing. All right. You're just trying to keep it going, right? Back and forth, ping pong, ping pong. Well, sometimes when you get in a one-on-one discipleship, that can happen, all right? You ask this person you're discipling, like, what did you learn from your reading this week? Well, uh, not much. Uh, so uh, was it good? Yeah. Did anything specific speak out? No, not really, you know? And so then it's you and him. It's ping pong, back and forth. You're trying to keep it going. And so the leader becomes responsible for trying to keep things going in that discipleship, and it can be very tough. However, when you have a group of three or four, there's a greater likelihood that others will add to the conversation and help keep things moving. Even in this small group setting, typically everyone becomes more comfortable and ends up sharing at least a little bit. In fact, in the larger group, many times we can become uncomfortable sharing their thoughts. But in the small group, it's a very comfortable setting where everyone opens up. And so it avoids the ping pong match. The second thing is this. It's easier to reproduce. In a one-on-one model, the person who's being invested in has a tendency to look at the mentor and say this. I could never do what you're doing. Because the leader does bear the way to keep things going. And so the, 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 the disciple says, I can't do that. However, when you're in a discipleship group of three or four and you see that the pressure is not on the leader, but that everyone is sharing, everyone is having a part of that, you can look at it and say, I can do that. I can lead a group like this. I can lead a group where it's about discussion with one another. I can be a part of that. And so because the responsibility is shared, it's easier to reproduce. People are willing to go and say, okay, I'm ready to start my own group. Third, it reduces the risk of a counseling session. When you just have two meeting together, the tendency is drift toward solving personal problems each week. Though clearly each week learning biblical solutions for personal problems will be a part of a Bible study group, having groups help steers away from simply being a therapeutic advice session for one person in one-on-one, all right, from the one being the sole focus of what is happening. Now, the fourth thing is this. It best follows the example of Jesus. Remember, we clearly see Jesus have his group of three But we don't ever really see Jesus regularly meeting with people one-on-one. Now, yes, he had his one-on-one encounters. He met the woman at the well. He had different people. But he wasn't investing in them on a regular basis. What about this? What if Jesus said, you know, I'm going to do this one-on-one, and his one was Judas? Would that have turned out very well? No, all right, because there are always going to be people even you seek to invest in who don't always, all right, go where they should. They don't go deep with the Lord like they should. And so we believe even the group thing is better, all right? In fact, it says this in Ecclesiastes 4, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. But look at this, a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. You see, obviously, two are better than one, all right? But when a third is added, you increase the strength. And so a group of three to five not only emulates Jesus, it provides the added strength to its members. And then five, this, it increases accountability. With a group of three to five, you get somewhat the old peer pressure principle at work. But truly what you hope happens in a positive way is one group member doesn't do the work or thinks he or she can't do the work, but by hearing the others and seeing the experience of others in the group who did what was supposed to be done, it sparks a greater desire in them to do better the next week. If nothing else, there will be built-in examples of what can happen as one reads the Scriptures, interacts with the Scriptures, and then obeys. 
What is going to happen in a group of three to five is that someone, someone in that group of three to five will have a positive experience with God through the scriptures and be able to share that with the group and people will be inspired. It might be a different one each week, but someone will be touched each week and so it provides that accountability. Now, those are five things that Gallaudet mentioned that reminds us of some of the advantages of discipleship group versus one-on-one discipleship. But I hope you already have understood that the smaller group size has its benefit over the larger groups. Because we see such positive possibilities from discipleship groups, we truly want to launch discipleship groups here at Valley Creek. So now let me get a little specific about our plans. How is this going to work? In fact, just this next month, in the month of March, our intent is to launch what we are calling pilot D-groups. They will not be the full-fledged D-groups that, w- that will be designed to raise up, uh, you know, like what well, like we intend in the fall. But what we are going to do with these is train leaders for the fall who understand the concept and the structure. These pilot groups will launch with a 13-week growing up challenge. The groups will spend those 13 weeks exploring what D-groups are about and practicing the D-group format. We will also be training leaders and identifying potential other leaders who will be ready to launch D groups in the fall. The hope would be with these pilot groups of, say, four, all right, that's our our target number is groups of four, that in the fall what will happen is the leader will take one of those other fours and then grab two other people and start a group of four. And the other two in that group will then go their way. One of them will say, hey, I can do this. I can be the leader, but we're going to go this as partners and we're going to find two others as a group of four. And so one pilot group will be two D groups in the fall. This will allow us to launch in hopefully a big way coming this fall. And as we move forward, the ultimate goal will be from those D groups will become many more D groups and they will multiply as time moves forward, all right? Now, that's our plan because this 13-week growing up challenge will be followed in by a time of June and July, even some into August of organizing, recruiting, training for the fall. Then in late August or September, the D groups will launch with a full 12-month study plan. The hopes would be by doing it in this manner, again, we would have a good number of leaders ready and trained to make that huge impact in the fall. From there, we again, as we said, we hope that we'll just multiply more and more in the future. Now, some of you will say, does that mean that I'm not in, if I'm not in a pilot group, then I have to wait until the fall? No. The, I'm going to say this. If you're here this morning and you say, I hear what you're saying, Brother Scott. I've been praying for something like this for a long time. I've been wanting to be a part of a long time, but I've not been asked to be in a pilot group. Well, if you want to be a part, do this. Email one of the staff and say, I, I want to be involved right now. And what we'll do is we'll get you plugged in, all right? Our hope would be for anyone who wants to be involved right now that we'll get you started because we don't want to taper somebody's excitement for D groups, all right? But that'll be our plan, so we'll get you in. But let's remember this. For some of you, you'll say, you know what? I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go a part of a D group, all right? I'm really even uncertain about the process. I'm uncertain about I'm ready. So what happens for me? Well, let's do this. Let's go back to how we function as a church so every one of you here today can consider where you are. Let's look at this little illustration on the screen, all right? We can illustrate what we've been talking about by using the idea of a funnel. Now, I don't know if you can read all those words, but that's okay. I'm going to explain it. You all know how a funnel works, right? A funnel at the top is real big, so it's easy to pour something into that funnel so it focuses down to the point, right? Well, in a church, we have the large opening. As I talked about earlier, this large entry point at the top, and that is the worship service. It's a safe place. It's an easy place to get involved. And as we let the Scripture guide the preaching, and we take the Scriptures and we help people understand and apply it, 
the large worship becomes that place where people can begin their journey to discipleship. In fact, for some of you this morning, here's what I know. Here's what I know God's calling some of you to do. He's calling you to be committed to attending worship. Maybe for you, worship is something you do sporadically, maybe once every now and then. Maybe you wake up on a Sunday morning and you say, do I have anything else to do? And if you don't, you say, well, I'll go to church today, all right? I don't know where your commitment is, but for some of you, what God's calling you to do is to be fully committed to worship, that you would come every week. Because here's what I know. As you come every week and we preach God's word, God's going to begin to draw you to him. You're going to hear about God's plan of salvation. You're going to hear about how Jesus died for you. You're going to hear about how Jesus rose from life. You're going to hear how he gave you the Holy Spirit. You're going to learn and you're going to grow. And God will take you deeper through the worship service if you come regularly. In fact, as I mentioned, we're going to begin doing this series on faith. It's a perfect time for some of you to say, I'm going to plug in. I'm not going to miss a single sermon on the series called Faith because I need to know more about faith and I need to know how it impacts my life. If that's you this morning, I'm encouraging you, just become committed. That is a big and that's an important step. But for some of you, here's what I know. You've been committed to worship for a long time, all right? You entered the top of the funnel a long time ago, and it's time for you to take another step. It's time for you to make your way down the funnel. It's time for you to go deeper in his, in, with God and his church through a life group, okay? If you do, here's what you're going to find. You will make deeper connections with people. You will find an opportunity to ask questions about the scripture and hear from others in a group about how that scripture has worked in their life. And you will find that you take your faith to a different level. The scripture will still be the guide in these groups, but the people will become more important because the closeness will be possible that we will not get by just attending worship. I have seen many people come to this altar, in fact, through the years, an invitation during prayer. And oftentimes as people come and pray, somebody will come and pray with them. You know, as I've observed that through the year, the people that have somebody come and pray with them, you know who that person that prays with them often is? You know who it is? It's someone in their life group. Someone who knows them, who knows the struggle that they're going through, knows even what they need prayer for, and so they join them. Why? Because they've already joined life together in life groups, and so they say, we're going to come and pray. And so some of you, I challenge to go deeper by life groups and take that next step of faith. But then some of you have been in a life group a long time. And yes, you've recognized the limitations. You've recognized how many people have still gotten lost in your group or how you are intimidated by the number of people and so you keep quiet. Or maybe you've gotten stale. Let me encourage you to take the next step and join a discipleship group. We believe that this indeed is a place that you will be best discipled and will end up seeing that you can make disciples and you will begin to fulfill God's great commission for your life. And in fact, as I say that, let me make a side note here. As we talk about you making your way through the funnel, here's one thing that's different than kind of the funnel is this, that none become unimportant along the way. Okay? Even when you get to be part of a D group where you're a disciple making disciples, it's still important for you to be a part of worship. It's still important for you to be a part of a life group. But we believe that the discipleship group is where you're going to go deepest with the Lord. And so here's what I want to know this morning, all right? What commitment do you need to make? I mean, I've shared that funnel with you. Do you understand that everyone has some commitment to make today? Yes or no? Shake your head this way if you understand. All right? Everybody has some commitment to make. So what commitment do you need to make this morning in this message? Again, as I said, I know it wasn't my typical sermon, all right? So if you're a guest, you come back next week, all right? You'll see more how we preach, all right? This was informational. I get it. In fact, some of you got bored 15 minutes ago and said, when are we done? I'm ready to go to lunch, right? I get that today. But again, this is important to us as a church. In fact, here's, here's why it's so important. 
Because we want to do what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, that being Jesus, warning, everyone to, warning and everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. Okay? That was the ultimate goal. We want people to be mature in Christ. And then he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see, we want to present everyone mature in Christ, knowing that mature Christians can and will disciple. And we know that we're going to have to toil and struggle along the way, but we know that the effort will be worth it. And some of you say, this sounds like a lot of work. Well, maybe it will be. But I believe if we'll put our time and our energy to discipleship groups, we can see God do great things in life. And so my question as we end this series on the journey today is this, will you join us on the journey. And I hope today you will, because I believe God can truly use this to transform our church, our community, and ultimately the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we do bow into your presence today, Lord, again, we thank you for your mercy and grace that we sang about earlier. And Father, we thank you for your word that continues to give us a guide. And Father, for the way that you continue to even lead and direct our church, Lord, to a place where you want it to go and where you want people to go. And so today, even as we talk about discipleship and this idea of discipleship groups, my prayer will be you'll continue to spark in us a desire to know you more, that you'll spark in people's heart a desire to be involved. And what we'll see in a short period of time is people going deeper with you and disciples who are making disciples. Because truly, I know, Lord, you are the one that changes lives. And as people become your disciples, God, and learn from you, their lives are radically changed for the better. And so help us to do our part, to make disciples, that command that you gave us. Help us to jump on board. But this morning, even as we come to an invitation, wherever people are at, I pray they'll make a step of commitment. Again, maybe, like I said, it's to regular attendance, or maybe it's to a life group. Maybe they're not ready for a D group, but Father, help everyone to take a step today along the way. And so even as we have this invitation, I want you to speak to hearts. Show people where they're at. Show them where you want them to be. And help them, Father, understand how they get there this morning. And so, Lord, bless this invitation time. Again, I give this to your hand as I always do, Lord, and I want your spirit to move. So move in this moment, I pray, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.